Today's sermon title is Trusting God When Life is Hard. I had so many different titles for this. I wanted to keep it short so you could remember. I wanted to call it, um, based on a conversation recently with one of my daughters, God will never give you more than he can bear. But I thought I'd get in trouble with some folks saying, God didn't give us this. So I was like, okay, I won't do that one. I'll save myself. I like that, more than he can bear. Um, God is more than enough. That was another title. But um, I don't want to say we don't need each other. That if we just have God, that's enough. That it, God is enough, but he uses us amongst each other to build each other up. So, so that one went off. And I went with trusting God when life is hard, but I wanted to play on enough for a minute. Uh, definition for enough. It's occurring in such quantity, quality, or scope as to fully meet demands, needs, or expectations. In that sense, God is enough, right? Sometimes here lately, we're screaming, enough! Enough! You know, turn it off, walk away. But in the middle of all that, we scream, enough. God is enough. We're going to look at that today. Last week, we talked about faith, famines, and God's faithfulness. The whole purpose of that, my intent is I pray about it, and what I believe God is telling me, that at times of famine, what we thought our faith should result in is not happening, and then we question God and question our faith. So it's trying to address that. That's not the case, and we saw that with Abraham. Um, when a famine came, he messed up, but God still fixed him up, right? He took care of it. So today, when we look at this, God, trusting God when life is hard, not trust God when life is hard, but trusting God. It's an ongoing thing. We have to continue to trust him. I, I believe from conversations that this is a different paradigm of God than some have learned or been taught. So paradigm, that's a word that we use a lot, right? No. One more definition, okay? A paradigm is a standard, a perspective, or a set of ideas. A paradigm is a way of looking at something. When you change paradigms, you're changing how you think about something. So I'm hoping today as we look at this story to challenge any paradigm that you have been taught that adversity is a sign that God is against you or God is not in it. When you have adversity upon adversity upon adversity, you might question God and question your faith and then you start doing bad things, start shrinking back away from God. And we don't want to do that right now. Scripture says something about that, right? So we want to be encouraged not to shrink back. So last week, bringing a recap, we talked about Abraham. And God had a covenant with Abraham. And it's all about God, we saw in that story, right? Abraham had to go forward. He had to go from from the known to the unknown. He had to do it in faith. But the whole time, it's God overseeing the story, just as he's overseeing your story. You have to move in faith, and you have to act in faith But God is overseeing our story. But God had a covenant with Abraham. And Yahweh had said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Go, my son, you go, and I'm going to do this. And God took care of it, even when Abraham messed up. Then God comes back to Abraham again, and he tells him, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you inheritance. He goes, I don't even have a child. I've got this, this slave, this household servant. He's, he's going to be my heir. And God's like, no, no, no. I'm going to give you a son. So he accepts that. And then God tells him to look at the stars of the sky. He said, if you could count them, this is how many ancestors, I mean, how many, uh, your family is going to be, all that's going to come from you will be more than these stars, okay? And then he said, look at the land around you. I'm going to give you the land. Now, when it came to that, his faith was challenged because he's just one man, right? So he can handle the thing about the child, 
about having um, this lineage. But when it came to the land, that, that troubled his faith. He said, God, how, how can this happen? And that's when God did the cutting covenant with them. Okay? So God tells him to go get the animals. He's going to covenant with them. We read in Genesis 15, 12 through 16. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for hundred years, for four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So isn't that just like God when you ask him, how is this going to be? He does a covenant. It's all on him. God walks between the animals by himself while Abram's in this deep sleep. God's going to take care of it. He's making that clear. But then he tells him this other strange thing about your, your descendants are going to be um, enslaved in land. And all this stuff's going to happen. And, and sometimes don't you feel that way whenever you're seeking God for something and you find just the opposite in Scripture? Okay, now it's going to start to smooth out now, okay? <laughs> Had a little sound problem if you're watching this from the house. All right, so imagine Abraham as we transition over to Joseph. You know, the, the uh, wow, wow, you're going to have a son. He's getting older. He didn't have a kid. He's written that off. He's like, you're going to have a son. Wow. And it's going to be by your wife, Sarah. Double wow. You're going to have so many ancestors. Am I getting the word right, ancestors? Ancestors is the one behind you. Yeah. The ones before you is the words escaping. Descendants. You're going to have so many descendants. Wow. And all this land, look about you. I'm going to give you this land too. Wow. But how is this going to happen? That requires a lot of faith, doesn't it? So where we're at today, we've covenanted with God at some point if you're a believer, a follower of Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about that. You have covenanted with him, and God's made some promises to you, but he didn't tell you the, the how life is going to work out and how he's going to do it. And so here we sit with a lot of hard things going on. Some in the congregation have harder things than others going on. Some have hard things from their past that others have not had. And so we all sit here a mixed bag of people with different experiences, and we're wondering how is this going to happen? What is going to happen, God? And our faith can flounder, and we can shrink back and and we can have the face of faith, but inside, it, faith is not operating. Okay? So I hope today that we'll be encouraged from God's word to be reminded that this is all not just about showing up, not just about reading, not going to a Bible study, going to a home group, singing. This is something that we internalize. The blood of Christ is on us and in us. The Spirit of God is in us. And if you didn't feel it while we're singing, these songs are meaning something new to us. And I think the Word of God is going to speak anew to us with the experiences we're facing. Because we've had it a little easy, but now times are hard. It's easy to have faith when life is easy. It's easy to profess God is good. I will follow God. I'll do this and I'll do that. But when life gets hard, that's when real faith kicks in. Not that it was never real, but it's got to kick in because faith without works is dead. So as Abraham's there, it's like, how is this going to happen? One man who is infertile, can't have a kid. He's older. His wife's really old as dirt too, okay? They're old. They're old, and God's going to create a baby through them. And then they're going to have all these descendants, right? Oh, more than the stars in the sky, they're going to have descendants. And yet, somewhere there's going to be a bump in the road and all this joy. And his people, his descendants are going to be held captive in a foreign land. But how is all this going to happen? Well, it's going to happen through a young man named Joseph. Okay? And this story is not so much about Joseph as it is about God. So we want to be encouraged about who God is and reminded who God is and embrace that. But we also want to be encouraged by Joseph's actions. Okay, Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19 says... In relationship to Abraham and all his, all his people, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass, the word of Yahweh tested him. Now, when we're reading in Genesis, we don't see this that God is 
testing him. We just see what's going on, what's happening. He's like, man, he's got some bad luck. But God keeps jumping in there and helping him out. Every time somebody does something bad to him, God helps him out. Well, Psalm 105 tells us that in the midst of all that, God was testing him. Whether God allowed it, God ordained it, or God authored it, God is sovereign, and God knew exactly what was going to happen. I think God ordained this. And he worked through men to put his man where he needed him, where he wanted him. So the word of Yahweh tested Joseph. We, we see Joseph initially in the story. He's 17 years old, okay? So those of you who are getting bored that are younger, he was 17. Can you relate to being 17? Not, you, you, you know, don't, even, don't even. It's a different age right now. Once. Richard, are you 17? Hey, there we go. We got a 17 in our midst. We got a 17 up here with Lily. She's like, please don't call on me. <laughs> I don't know who else is 17. Matthew is 17. You know, as you get older, you guys will always be 12 to us. <laughs> they got a baby? You know, he got married? Yeah, he's 32 now. But here, here this one, this shout out is going to the 17-year-old who was a favored son, who became a slave, who became a prisoner. Woohoo! Sign me up, right? This is what it means to be a Christian. So at 17, he's a favored son. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has, listen to this household, four wives, and it was okay back in the day. Not a reality show. Twelve sons, a daughter. And do you think there was trouble in that household? <laughs> and Joseph is one of those sons. Okay, And he's very favored by his father because he was the, the son of Rachel. So he um, spoiled him. And he favored him. And you know the story about the coat. He got him. I mean, a visual reminder. Here, put this on and remind all your brothers I like you better than them. Okay? So they don't need to ask. Just wear it around and show them. So he's there amongst everybody. He's, he's slightly isolated in the family because dad favors him. And they don't invite him to go swimming and let's go do stuff, Joseph. You know, you actually stay away. Because Joseph had a habit. If they were doing something bad, he'd go back and tell his dad. And he would get them in trouble. That helped, right? Okay. But Joseph is um, he's an odd, odd guy. Okay. He's just interesting to me. I would like to be more like Joseph. I've met maybe two people in my lifetime that are like him. It just You heard the phrase, water off a duck's back? Things don't seem to phase uh, him. Now, they will, but things don't seem to phase him. And, and God gives him visions. He gives him two dreams. And I know you know all this. I'm just bringing you up to date, okay? Don't check out on me. He gives him two dreams, two prophetic dreams, and one is he's gathering wheat with his brothers, and they're tying them into sheaves, and all his brothers' sheaves of wheat bow down to his, and he goes and tells them. Now, dreams like that are, are given to us for a reason, either for Joseph to know and think back on later, or maybe he was supposed to speak it. God gave it to him. It's all in the manner in which you tell it, right? I would really buffer that one. Okay, now hear me out, hear me out. I know this is going to sound bad, but I had the dream. Let me... He just goes and tells them, like, isn't that spectacular? All your sheaves bow down to mine. And they're like, oh, you're, you're going to rule over us, you and your coat of many colors? And his dad defends him, and then he has a dream that the, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bow down to him. And then dad's like, okay, you're pushing it, son. <laughs> Even me and your mom? But it says dad thought about it later because dad knows God, right? And dad's experienced God. So he had some things to think about. But Joseph continues doing this stuff. And his brothers have had enough. And as most of you in here know, uh, at this tender age of 17, he gets sent out by his dad alone to go check on his brothers. What was going on with there? And the brothers conspire to kill him. So they, this is how bad it was. Now, this is the Bible, the Word of God. Flesh and blood brothers. So they conspire to kill him. Reuben wants the oldest, wants to get him free. Um, Judah wants to come back and do something so they don't kill him, but they throw him in a pit. So here's where it starts. A 17-year-old boy, God has been speaking to him in his dreams. He tells people and they don't want to hear it. So they take him and they're going to just throw him in the pit to decide what to do. Has anyone ever seen the movie, Joseph? So I think it was originally on television. They really play that up of him being in that pit where they're all eating. He's like, brothers! Brothers! Yelling the whole time, get me out of this pit, this dry, empty pit that he can't get out of. And they even show a few snakes in the movie. you got to dramatize it, right? But he did not just sit there like, praise God. God's got everything under control. He's 17. 
He's like, brothers, what are, you, what are you doing? Get me out of here. And finally they decide, as you know, to sell him to a Midianite caravan that's coming by. They said, here's the deal. We're going to sell him. Um, Judah doesn't want to see him get killed. Reuben's going to come back and get him later. So they sell him to the Midianites, and he's gone from being a favored son to now he's a slave. All right, sign me up, right? All right, can you imagine the faith he's got, the faith that his dad taught him, and how that faith is going to affect him? Now, when you read this story, you don't see Joseph railing against God, ever, ever. There's something to learn here that Joseph has an understanding of God and a relationship with God that is that's over here in a good way. He sees the evil and the things that happen to him by the hands of men. But he doesn't put it on God ever that I see in the story. Come correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but he takes it in stride that God is good and God is high and lifted up and he's great and greatly to be praised. Men are not. So he's in the pit, he's been lifted up, he's been sold, and he is now a slave. And he goes to an Egyptian household to Potiphar who works for Pharaoh, pretty high up guy, and he gets in this household. Now, can you imagine that? My kids, boys in the back, Richard, you were taken from your family, everything you knew, your favorite bed, your coat of many colors, that was shredded and covered in goat's blood, never to see your dad again, never to see your family again, and you're stuck in this, this household, and you're a slave, and your job is to do what they tell you to do with no hope of ever getting away, never going back to the way it was before. And that's what Joseph is doing. But even in this household, we find that God is with Joseph. And this is where it starts to get very interesting. God saw when Joseph was picked on. God saw when Joseph was thrown in the pit. God saw that when Joseph was sold as a slave. And God sees now that he's a slave in this man's household. And it came about in Genesis 39.5, it came about that the time... At that time, he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, Potiphar did. And Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, Yahweh's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So with Joseph comes blessing. So those brothers just kick the blessing out the door, right? They're going to get it later. They're going to get the blessing later. But he's in his household as a slave, and God's still working in him. So there's some hope right there. If we just stopped right there with the story to know... God's person, he is watching them, he's with them, and they even come with blessing when they're in the midst of those who don't know God. We could be a blessing in the midst of any group of people, right? Because we do know God, and God is good. Now, there's a problem in that household. You guys still with me? Anybody could go, here, I'll come up and tell the rest. (laughs) Uh, Potiphar seems to be a good guy, but his wife is not. And his wife... How would I even say? She is not faithful to her husband. And we know that Joseph, young Joseph, is um, good-looking. He's a good-looking guy. He's well-built, stacked. I don't know if we say that word anymore, guys. And she's noticed this. And apparently Potiphar is not. So anytime he's gone, she's going to him every day, every day, every day, wanting him to have some quality time with her. Okay? But listen up, boys. There are ladies out there like that. They are. And you'll meet them one day if you haven't already. They can be very seductive. They can offer you something, make you feel special. But it only leads to bad places. She didn't care. This lady doesn't appear to have any faith. She doesn't have um, any, any honoring of her husband, any honoring of her vow, if there were any vows to him. She just wants what she wants. And she sees him as a commodity and not even as a person, just something that she wants to fulfill her need. That's how she thinks. But we find that Joseph, again, here's a sign of his faith. Whatever his dad taught him, we don't know because we're not told. He had this relationship with God. He gets these dreams from God. But he tells her, no, I won't do this with you again and again and again and again. 17, 18-year-old at this time. No, I won't spend quality time with you because look at this. Your husband has given me everything. He's made me in charge of his entire household. I'm second to him. He's put me in charge of all this. How can I do that to him? And he said, and how can I do this to God? We could stop there, couldn't we? With the opportunities we get in our lifetime, in our workplaces and relationships, um, things that happen where we have an opportunity to go and do wrong, 
And it could be private where no one's really going to know about it. But we have to remember the commitment we have to God and that we are going to dishonor the Lord too when we cheat, lie, and steal. So we want to be careful about that. We want to be like Joseph, right? Who continued to say no and fought an urge, which is a very great urge for some. So Joseph there, he's told her no. And do you think this is a lady to take this lightly? No. Got sigh. She has been scorned. And we know a place has no fury like a woman scorned. Right? Someone came up with that. So she comes on to him. He says no again. He runs from her. She's got his, his cloak. And she's just waiting for her husband to get home. And then she's going to turn it on. Oh, that slave of yours. Look what he's done. He's come in here and made a fool of me. He attacked me. And this man has uh, no choice. I don't know how much he believed Joseph. I don't know how much he believed his wife. I think he didn't. He didn't have her put to death. But he, he takes Joseph and he has to be put in prison now. So he's gone from being a favored son to being a slave. And now he's going to be a prisoner. So when the master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, at the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. All right, this is my happy place. If you're ever running, I hate running. And you start off, and you've got to run a long distance. you just got to get through that first mile or that first half mile. We're done with the first half mile. We're coasting now. we got our win now. So you ready to get into the story? Because yeah. what we have is we have a godly guy. We have a great God, the only God, who's watching over him. And he's putting him in bad places because he's got a purpose that many people are going to be blessed. Because God told Abraham, many people will be blessed because of you. And Abraham lived and died. And now here's Joseph. So he, this is our turn in history, right? Here we are. We've had it good. We've been the favored child, more or less. And now we're hitting some hard times, would you say? Yeah. All right, so this is a good time to look at the story again and say, what, what really happened here? What can we take from this today? Yes? Okay. So he's in the, the king's household. I mean, I'm sorry, the king's jail. Now, don't start feeding me stuff I asked earlier. <laughs> I'll lose your confidence. So he did nothing wrong, and he did everything right, and he's in jail. This is where the king put his prisoners. Now, you want to talk about isolation. Is he isolated now? All right, you feel isolated because you can't go out and do what you used to do. All right? Life is changing for you. So you feel isolated. Isolation is not a good place to be, is it? It's not a happy place to be. Those of you who had COVID and spent, I don't know how many weeks home, three weeks, you were probably going stir crazy. You were isolated. We are being isolated right now. Okay? I won't talk about what, what is coming. I don't know what's coming. I don't want to scare anybody. But just know in isolation, it's a tough place to be. And again, we can be isolated relationally, right? You can be isolated in your, right? Right? You can be isolated in your own household. You could be married and you could feel isolated with your spouse. As a child, you could feel isolated by your brothers and sisters. You could feel isolated at work. And right now, in our community, in our culture, in the world, we can feel isolated. Now, the problem is when we start to feel isolated from God. And because things aren't going well, we're facing adversity. We're asking that where question. Where is God? What is God doing? Why isn't God doing this? Those really aren't our questions to ask. Our questions are to be, to believe, to have trust, and act on it. Faith, trust, action, right? All right. So he's there. He is isolated. He doesn't have freedom anymore. He can't move around. He can't do what he used to do. He can't go and do that anymore. Now, religion-wise, can you imagine? Do you think there's anybody in there that shared his religious beliefs? Okay, sound familiar? Okay, he's there with a bunch of convicts and thugs, and he did nothing wrong, and that's where he's at. So I want you to connect with this isolation. If you're at home listening to this and watching this, and you're like, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Joseph. <laughs> Joseph knows what it is to feel isolated. God knows what it is for you to feel isolated. And God still sees all of us, and God still cares, and God still has a plan because here we're seeing the sovereignty of God. God is doing something that God is doing. God could have used anybody. This is who he chose. And God has also chosen you. He's chosen me. He's chosen us 
to continue with his plan. That's why we need to listen up and watch this and not surrender to the circumstances that are going on. This is a time when we step up to the plate. This is a time when we grow. We don't know what we're made of until we're tested. God knows how much faith we have. We don't know until we're tested. And right now we're being tested. And this is where as a church, I am so blessed right now how many people are in here. Praise God. All right, so he's in jail. And what happens to him there? Genesis 39, 21 to 23, no surprise here. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. God had his back, right? And here's what's incredible. This guy, this guy had every reason to shut down. Every reason to get depressed. Every reason to withdraw and not talk to anybody. Every reason as soon as he was released to run away from everyone and go hide out. Every reason to run away from God. Every reason not to pray anymore. He had every reason to give up spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally with the people around him but he didn't god sustained him and he he nowhere in here is criticizing god he is walking in god's favor and god's grace while he's in jail can't we do that something exciting to look at what does it mean to be a christian during hard times when the going gets tough god gets it and pours out his grace on us if we're looking for him. You know, there were 11 brothers back home right now, kicked back, just doing whatever they do, while he's moving forward by being a slave and a prisoner. Because he was under God's will and under God's direction. And sometimes that's just how God's plan actually works. That's how you bring forth gold through the fire. Genesis 41 through 6. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Now, I know you guys know this story, but hang with me, okay, because we're going to look at something a little bit different. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was in prison. Hmm, what's going on here? The sovereign God of the universe is at work moving people around because he's going to fulfill what he has promised. He's in the same jail. They're both in the same jail in prison with Joseph. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. Hmm. And he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. So this is just not like in the movie when they're there overnight, and they're getting up the next day having breakfast, and they're talking. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Hmm. Makes you go, hmm. Now, you notice dreams are coming in twos. Joseph had two dreams. Here's two dreams. Later, Pharaoh's going to have two dreams. Double witness. God is ensuring what's going down here. So both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. So this is where it gets interesting to me. You guys good? Yeah. <laughs> they had dreams in the same night. We know, we, know, we know God's doing something. When Joseph saw them, he's there to serve them, right? Because he is a prisoner. And make no mistake about it, he's still a prisoner. He knows who they are. They're from the king's court, okay? So you look at us. Things didn't go our way. We've gone from favored son to slave to prisoner, how are we going to act towards other people? So you're the, you're the slave in the jail, the prisoner in the jail, and these two people come in here, probably wearing their high and lofty garb and stuff, looking pretty good, pretty privileged. Well, that's a word we throw around a lot lately, don't we? Okay, let's go with that word. You guys good with that? Yeah. Privileged. They're privileged and they're in his midst, okay? And they stand a chance of getting back out. So he has every reason not to talk to them, right? I'm not talking to them. They've had it easy, born with a silver spoon in their mouth. They work for Pharaoh. They've got it good. They haven't had a life like I had. I'm in here because I didn't do anything wrong. 
I'm not talking to them. I'll serve them because I have to. I'll serve them, but my heart's not in it. You know, we, we do that. We can avoid people. We can avoid opportunities. We can avoid responsibilities because life has gotten hard. And we perceive our experience compared to someone else's experience, and we withdraw from people, right? We don't want to help them out. We don't want to serve them. We don't want to serve anybody. You ever get that way? I don't want to talk to anybody. Enough. Enough. I'm going to fly low under the radar, right? You ever been there before? I'm good at that one. To survive through basic training in places, you learn to fly. If they don't know your name, that's a good thing. And Joseph could have done that, but he sees they're dejected. And what does he do? He doesn't withdraw from them. He doesn't grumble at them. He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't say like we talked about last week, Zephaniah 1.12. He's not like men who are stagnant in spirit. For those of you who weren't here, we talked about being stagnant in spirit, who think the Lord will not do good or evil. So why even bother engaging with anyone? Why even bother? He doesn't do that. We read in Genesis 47 through 8, this remarkable young man. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why, why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to them, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. They had a dream interpreter usually in Pharaoh's court, but now they're just stuck. No one can interpret their dreams. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to Elohim? That's the word Elohim is the living God. Tell it to me, please. Are you not blown away by that? He sees her dejected. He goes, why are you dejected? And then they tell him, and he said, oh, God, God, God's got this. He still believes in God. He still believes God will answer him with the interpretation. And he says, and I had to go look up the original language. See, did he really say that? He said, tell it to me, please. Wow. If we could just grab some of this, if we could just grab some of this in this time, tell it to me, please. He wants to help them out. So the first one is going to go is the cupbearer, okay? You guys hanging with this? I know it's hard when you've read these stories over and over and over again, but this is a different time and age with a different experience. The cupbearer said, in my dream, behold. Now, he's a brave man to go first, right? So who's this upstart guy? All right, I'll try it. I'll try it. I'm desperate enough. I'll tell him. In my dream, look, there was a vine in front of me. And what was it? What was it? On that vine, there were, there were three branches, three branches. And it was budding. Its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. So I took the grapes, and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. Now imagine, you, the chief baker's watching all this right now, right? What's going down here? He said, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Now, the scholars say lift up your head. Of course, that's a good thing. Lift up your head. Lift up your head. Quit looking down. Lift up your head. But it also means he's going to hear your judgment. Okay, but he says, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head. And they're like, what? Well, this would be good news, wouldn't it? He was getting some juice. He put it down. What? How many days? Three days? Wow, this is great. Woohoo! Chief Baker, high five. So now imagine if you're the chief baker sitting there. You're like, well, I want to hear this too. I wonder what he has to say about me. But before that, Joseph said something to this man. He said, only keep in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was, in fact, kidnapped or stolen from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. Now, does this tell us Joseph is very much aware of what's going down? He's not just pie in the sky, la, 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 la. He knows what he's lost, and he knows he's been mishandled by men. But no accusation here against God. He's saying, I've been stolen out of my land, and I don't even belong here. Okay, so he asks, remember me. He's putting his trust in a man. All right. So now back to the chief baker. Chief baker's like, okay, hey, I, I had a dream too. You want to hear my dream? Could, could you get three days? Dude. Let me tell you my dream, Joseph. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. 
And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. And then that's it. And Joseph answered and said, can you imagine? He's ready, like. (laughs) Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, go ahead. Within three more days, yes, yes, yes. Pharaoh will lift up your head, yes, from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh off you. Now, this is the same kid that was going to his brothers. Hey, I had this dream. We were tying up sheaths and mine were bound down to yours. So when you've got the spirit of God on somebody and they're delivering a message, sometimes I just drop it on you, right? And he wanted to know, and he just dropped it on him. He didn't soft pedal it. He didn't excuse anything. Well, I don't know what you did, but apparently you did something wrong because of the way maybe you were raised or you were mistreated and you don't have self-esteem and you felt like you wanted to have what other people had and you wanted to be respected in the court. So, so you did this thing and we could get you some refinement and help you to get better and not do this stuff. No, he, he said, boom, this is it. You're going to be lifted up. Your head is, that is, and you're going to be dead. And he dropped the bomb on him. And then there was no reason for Joseph to ask the chief baker to remember him because he knew God had spoken, right? <laughs> Genesis 40, 20 to 23, then it came about on the third day. Oh, I'd have been nervous which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants, meaning he lifted them up, he gave them judgment. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Yes. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Gee whiz, if this was a book, I'm like, enough i got to read something more positive. But you remember God's at work here. God did this for a reason, and you think the deliverance is coming. Now, there are a lot of people out there right now on the Internet and places giving their little prophecies and stuff. I think there are a lot of false prophets that are speaking right now. So be careful who you listen to or just don't even listen to them. If God wants us to hear it, he's going to tell us. That's up to you. But God was doing something to work his plan It wasn't going to happen still for two more years. So Joseph, can you imagine? He's excited. The end is is here. The vaccine is here. The vaccine is here. The vaccine is here. But he forgot him. He didn't get his deliverance. He didn't go back and tell anybody. He put his trust in a man, and the man forgot, and the man didn't act. But God was the one taking care of Joseph, and Joseph was going to be okay. So he continues on for two more years in isolation. Still, day in and day out, doing whatever he did there. No freedom, trying to remember what his dad looked like, trying to remember what they did when he was a kid, trying to remember back home. Will I ever see it again? Will I ever go back to the way life was before? For two more years, until we read in Genesis 41.1, now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Bum, bum, bum. And we're going to stop with the story there on Joseph, okay? But isn't that exciting when you read that? But Pharaoh had a dream. How many dreams did Pharaoh actually have eventually? Two. She's like, we're two. (laughs) And we know what's going to happen with him. And we'll talk more about that next week. But right now, I want to shift gears to us, okay? The situations we find ourselves in. Did you think life might look different? At this age, at this time in life, that life would look different and be different. I did. I did. I didn't expect that I'd be in a pandemic with uh, social upheaval and political upheaval. I thought life would just go on as usual. I'd see my kids launch, go to college, get married, do whatever they do, pray for them, experience the silver years. But life is getting kind of hard right now. It's getting very hard for some people. Right now, there are many that are disappointed. And this has nothing, even if there was no pandemic, there was no political upheaval. People are living with disappointment. Life didn't turn out as I thought it would. They're feeling isolated. 
They're wondering where God is and why God isn't acting, why God isn't taking care of our country, and why God is, is God not looking at our politics, why God isn't um, sending a wind just to blow COVID away. And people are confused. And so people are, are feeling isolated right now, feeling isolated from one another, isolated from life, isolated for God, for some of them. And doesn't this relate to what we just read? Because this is a living word. It was recorded for a reason, not just for history, but to speak life into us and to give us the, the willingness to trust God enough to take another step forward instead of two steps backward. Amen. Corey Timboom, I was just reminded by my sister, has a quote. She said, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. Now, for those who know her, she and her family hid Jews during World War II. And they got caught. They were Christians. God should have protected them. They were doing the right thing. They were putting their lives at, at harm's way to protect God's chosen people. And they got caught, and they all went to prison. And a lot of them died there. She didn't. God was launching her out into the world to be an international minister to the world, a missionary at large for the world. So she's someone who knows loss. She knows the, the old way of life is gone. Her family is gone. And she grew quite bitter at God, you'll read in her story, while she was in concentration camp. Her sister, who kept her lifted up in faith, died in the concentration camp. She lived, and she was released by a clerical error. I believe on the very day that she was going to be killed. And she said, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. So let's try to figure it out sooner rather than later. That Jesus is all we need. Now, we need each other, right? We do. This is where I wanted to be careful because if I just tell you, God's all you need, that's a, that's a hard place to be because God created us. He created man. He created woman. He made us in communities. We're supposed to look out for each other and be there for each other. But we have to, in our own little quiet place, when we lay our head on the pillow at night and close our eyes, we have to realize that Jesus is all we need. We don't put our faith in the cupbearer to tell Pharaoh, hey, remember me, because he forgot, right? There are going to be some people that just don't care, but God does care, and God is watching, and God is sovereign, and God's working a plan. It may not look like it, but he is. He has a reason. So Jesus, a couple of things here. We close that. we got about five minutes. All right? Jesus told us some things for a time like this. In the good days and the bad days. He said, peace I leave with you. Jesus, the Messiah who we just sang to. Lord of lords, King of kings. He said, peace I leave with you. He said, peace I leave with you. And you guys, some of you can quote this. You've probably written this in places you haven't had a shred of peace in months. Am I being mean? I'm trying to encourage. <laughs> we have to, a doctor to fix your broken legs got to re-break it sometimes, right? And then heal it. This is good news. It's not bad news. He's saying, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Amen. What kind of peace are we looking for from the world right now? Another stimulus check? Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Oh, okay, but he, Jesus wasn't talking about what's going on right now, was he? Yeah, he was. We can have peace in the midst of this. He said, don't let your heart be troubled and don't be fearful. This is not me speaking. I'm not giving anybody a hard time. What I'm doing is saying like, oh my gosh, oh my goodness. Jesus said, we can have peace. And we don't have to be afraid. Amen. And you can't muster that up. I can't. I can't like, um, don't be afraid. Don't push it down like, like Lou Ferrigno or something. I can't push it down. It has to come from the Holy Spirit within. Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. And he releases that peace within us. He, Jesus went on to say, these things I have spoken in John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that in me... In, in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. Not in her, not in him, not in them, 
not in this authority, that authority, or even that doctor, that you may have peace in me. In the world, you will have tribulation. Okay, so remember this. If your faith is built on nothing less than happiness and rainbows and ponies, you have bought into something wrong. Because when adversity comes your way, you think God's let you down, and you think that your faith was all null and void, and then you want to step back. Jesus said tribulation's going to come. Tribulation is going to come. I had a conversation with one of my kids, and I'm not going to say who it is, so they don't get upset and get nervous right and their hearts start beating. I know that I can come on strong. I know that. I was trying to not excuse myself, but I was trying to think, this comes from my past also, but then, lo and behold, God sticks me in a hospital for two and a half years working in the ER and the ICU as a pastor. And then I get to go on some deployments into combat zones and watch young people, fine, young, brave people get killed. And you watch the people who got up that morning, they were heading to work and didn't know what was coming. They get in a car accident, their life is forever changed. Some lives were lost. And that makes me kind of a serious person. So I have to battle that. i got to remember the joy of the Lord. But also, too, life can come at you and come at you hard. And so when I see a body of believers, when I hear Christians start to shrink back because something bad's happening, and they're thinking that that's just proof that God's mad at them, or, or their faith was not good, or God is not good, dare they say it out loud? Dare we say it out loud? Dare I say it out loud? God is good. He said, you're going to have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. God has overcome all disease. God's overcome all war and conflict and political parties and pride and arrogance and power struggles. He's overcome all of it. He has sealed the deal. It's been signed off. He knows the end, and Satan is not the winner. And all these people, they're flashing the pan. they got a big name right now. They're fighting for power right now. They're going to be gone one day. Just a... A, a, a little name on a tombstone, and it's over. Think of all the people, Mussolini, all these people in the past, Hitler, all these people that had sway over the entire world, terror and power, and they're gone now. Their time is up, they're gone. Now you think about all the people that shined throughout history and all the people that overcame, like we talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. They didn't even see the promise, but they kept moving forward in faith. And that pleases God. And he says, I've overcome the world. Now, Paul wrote in Romans 8, 35, 39. You probably know this. You may have memorized it, but read it now anew with eyes today. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's what ministry cost them. But for us, but in all these things, in all these things, in all these things, we, we here overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That's, that's the expectation from God. That's Paul's expectation right now. We would be overwhelmingly conquering. What does that look like for you? Only you can answer that. What is the opposite of that? Only you can answer that for you. But we overwhelmingly conquer through him. Not through us, not because we're like, uh, this is stupid, I don't need this. Woo, you're all afraid. No, not that attitude either. Because there's a lot of attitudes out there. We overwhelmingly conquer through him, through Jesus Christ. Trusting God who loved us, okay? He loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present. There's a lot of things present right now, right? Nor things to come. What's today's date? You ever ride those roller coasters, you do the first loop, and you're like, no more, and you know there's three more coming? Nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why we come out here today. That's why we come and we open the Word of God together and so God can feed this back to us that Paul wrote and penned that letter someone wrote for him as he sat there all those years ago for us today to open this up and read it and to, to, to know the truth and the reality that nothing will separate us from the, from the love of God. 
Now, things will happen to us. Things will happen to us. And Hebrews, I hate to tell you, they said some were sawed in two. I don't want to be signed up for that one. But they were never separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So this brings us to our last verse. So what about it? So what about it? So what about it? What's the so what? That's always kind of thing. What's the so what? We can come in here and get pumped up. I can ask you Tuesday what the sermon was about, and you won't know. I may not know by Wednesday. <laughs> so here's the so what. what, what is, what's the title of the sermon? Trusting God in hard times. Okay? So remember that. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who is Jesus. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We have got to cling to that. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. Some of you got a taste of this recently. Some got a double dose, right? We can do this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I have to remember that. I can do when I want to quit. When I want to stop talking, when I want to stop trying to convince people of the Word of God and the power of God, I'm like, I'm, they're yours, God, I'm done. I may not, and I cannot. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can walk back up here today and stand here and say it again. You can too. You can continue to do whatever it is you are supposed to do in your life that God's called you to do, and you don't quit. You know, this has been a wake-up call for us, America. Christians, this has been a wake-up call for us. We have bought into something that is not our kingdom. Okay? Hear me again. I'll continue to tell you. I'm a patriot. I have served in the military. I love America. But this is not my home, and this is not your home. And so we can be encouraged. God can tell us today, you can do all things through Jesus Christ, His Son, King of kings, Lord of lords, who will give you strength. But is that strength to sit on the couch? Is it strength just to flip the news channels or listen to talk radio all day? It's strength to do something. It's strength to get on with life. There is life in the midst of this. If you've been putting life on hold, waiting for this to change, I'd suggest you stop and you take a breath, buck up a little camper, and get out there, Christian. Because through Christ, you can do all things because he will give us strength. Okay? Trust God in hard times. We're going to have this area open. We're going to do a song. We're not going to belabor this. We're not going to try to beg people to come forward. If you're not coming forward, it's fine. We'll wrap it up. This is a chance if you want to come forward to pray. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can today. If you want to know him like what we're talking about, if you don't know Christ, you're not covered in his blood, you're not giving your life to him, this doesn't apply to you. You can't do all things through Christ who gives you strength because you don't have him. Just being in church doesn't make you a recipient of what we've talked about here. But you can be today. You can be today because... God is opening his arms up to you, and this is the time that you give your life to Christ.